Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello, welcome to the Adam Ruins Everything podcast. I am your host, Adam Conover. This is the podcast version of my true TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. If you haven't seen it, it's an educational comedy show where I tell you the awful truth about everything you take for granted. And this is the podcast version. And what I do here is I take the experts that we talk to on the show for just two or three minutes, and we talk to them for an entire podcast about all the fascinating work they do and about the topic and all the details that we didn't have a chance to discuss on the show. Today's guest is Caitlin Doty, who you might remember from our death episode. She is an advocate for natural burials as opposed to those gross, expensive, traditional burials. She's also the author of a book called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, and she is a licensed mortician. All of that said, let's get to it. Well, I'm here with Caitlin Doty, who is... Uh, well, actually, how would you describe yourself? You do so many things. Um, well, I'm a mortician. I'm a death acceptance advocate. I run a group called the Order of the Good Death, and I have a nonprofit funeral home called Undertaking L.A. Oh, it's nonprofit. I didn't realize It that. is. It's the only nonprofit funeral home in L.A. that is not a synagogue or not connected to a synagogue. <laughs> what, what made you want to start a nonprofit funeral home? Mostly a couple of reasons, um, mostly because I wanted – so the traditional funeral industry is obviously a for-profit model. Uh-huh. And yeah, I as wanted, we talk about on the show, there's right. so much – it's really about extracting money from the bereaved. It definitely can be. And, yeah. you know, honestly, we can get more into the how the industry works specifically in that way. But it's about try, not necessarily trying to extract money but trying to stay in business. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain model that got set up 50 years ago of embalming a dead body – putting it in a fancy casket, yeah. having a wake, that the funeral industry's entire industry business, is predicated on. It's a business on. model. It's a business model. And yeah. if people start to choose different things, the industry scrambles. And mm. they try and you know create legislation and they try and keep things in place saying, oh, no, no, you have to do this. Or you mm-hmm. have to have certain licenses. Or you certain have to have certain regulations. Or you have to have certain things to do or practice any funeral directing because otherwise our business is going to fall apart. Mm. And so the reason that I wanted to have a nonprofit funeral home is to kind of take money out of people's minds as the primary mm-hmm. agent in the equation, I guess. And what we've been doing a lot of is people will call and say, well, I'm not sure I want to use your funeral home exactly. And we'll say, that's fine. Let's just talk it out. Like, let's talk about what you want. Let's yeah. talk about what you're looking for. If we can't provide it for you, I can recommend other places. We can, like, build up a plan. We're a nonprofit, so we are here to help you just as much as we're here to try and get your business. Wow. It's almost like a credit union versus a bank or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And also, 
you know, at a certain point, we'd like to have volunteers that work with us Mm -hmm. who go out into the community, teach people to take care of their own dead, teach people the laws and the power that they have around death. And um, obviously you can't do that if you're just a normal, normal corporation. So you so you uh, provide funeral services. You do cremations and things like that. We do. We do. um, We don't do all the normal stuff. We don't offer embalming. Mm -hmm. We don't offer what would be considered traditional or conventional burial. What we do offer is um, primarily family involved death care. So if you want to take care of your mom or your dad yourself and want us to just tell you how to do it. Oh, or even be there if you want. So what do you mean if I if I if I went to you and I and you said, well, do you want to take care of your mom or dad yourself? And I said, wait, what, what do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by that? So generally, I mean, the people who come to my funeral home have read my book or okay. sort of know who I am. So it's a somewhat self-selecting group. It's not just like they call and say, like, my mom just died. I need a cremation. And it's I'm not, like, you want to hang out pages. with her? Yeah. You know, it's not it's not like that immediate or confronting. Um, like generally, you sort of know what you're getting into when you call Undertaking yeah. L.A. But uh, what? What the most interesting thing we've found in the you know seven months now or whatever that we've been open is that we thought that we were going to be doing a lot of what are called home funerals, which mm-hmm. is where we go into someone dies, maybe under hospice care, and we go into their home and we help the family prepare the dead body and lay it out and present it for a wake in the home. We haven't, that sounds like a very nice service. It sounds like a very nice service. We haven't done any of those yet mm. because what we found is that if you give people the information ahead of time, they will just do it themselves. Huh. They don't even need you. And yeah. that's like, ah, that's like the most beautiful, <laughs> wonderful thing to us because that's exactly what we're trying to kind of prove yeah. with this funeral home is that you have all of this power and this knowledge kind of in you and it's not that hard. Yeah. And once it's some, you know, if I put you in a room like in this in this little room we're in right now with a random dead body <laughs> and I was like, Prepare it, wash it, and, and dress it. You'd be like, no, no thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. But if it was your mother or your father or your partner or whoever it is, it would be different. It would yes. be different. Something about it in the air would be different. Something about your connection to the body would be different. Yes. It's just a different experience. Yes. And people, when they have someone who love die... It really is different. It really is different. And they get over any of these weird taboo fears they have about the dead body. The first time you say it, you know, helping someone care for the body, it's not like, what are you talking about? Care for it. But then, you know, when you think about it, it's like that that would be something that I would like to do. Yeah. Right. And something humans have been doing for tens of thousands of Mm -hmm. years is being involved in death care. This new model of the last hundred years, which is someone appears in the middle of the night sucks the body into a white van and disappears <laughs> down the down the freeway and you maybe never see it again that's completely new in human history you know and i don't i don't have any solid scientific argument of like we haven't evolved to deal with death that way i just don't have it i wish i did yeah. but from personal experience there's something really great that happens to your grieving process and to your relationship with death when you confront the reality of a dead body. So how how does it you seem like, you know, you're exactly the type of person that that we love to have on the show and that I love to talk to, which is that there's a there's a there's a sort of calcified old-fashioned structure of doing things, you know, that is like this set of practices that no one questions and you're the person questioning it and uh saying, "Well, this is, you know, hey, there's a better way, like we we should do it this way." But as far as I can tell, you seem to be the only one. It seems, you know, like, or I, I'm sure there are others, but, you know, uh, you're doing this very prominently. Um, and uh, I, I guess I'm 
I really want to know how did you come to have this uh, different way of looking at, at death? Where did you come to these ideas? That's a really interesting question, and I think that's a good way to present it, too. And the reason that I think I personally am so prominent is from the beginning, I decided to do change from the inside. Mm -hmm. So there's this amazing movement of what are called, for example, deaf midwives Mm -hmm. who are not in the industry, who are not licensed, but will come to your home and help you prepare the dead body. Oh, wow. Um, Either on a volunteer basis or on you donate money to them basis. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the green funeral movement where people will bury the body naturally in the ground in a shroud. And these things had been going on, but they're set up in a way to be antithesis to the funeral industry, to be enemies Mm -hmm. in a way. And then you have, you know, the old traditional guard of funeral Mm -hmm. directors and funeral homes. And my idea was, what if I can get in, go to mortuary school, work in the traditional funeral industry, get the licenses I need, and then with that sort of backup behind me, be able to say, and I still think that we're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And here are my experiences to show you why. And here, and so it was very easy, I think, before me to dismiss the people who were saying to the funeral industry, maybe this is not the best way to do it. Because mm-hmm. you could say, you're not even a funeral director. Yeah. You don't have a license. You're just You've some, never worked in a funeral home. You're, you're just some, some hippie. Yeah, yeah, you're some hippie. Exactly. And that that was very much how they were characterized. They were like the hippie dippy doo spirit crystal ladies yeah. who didn't know what they were talking about, didn't have licenses, didn't know anything about public health didn't know anything about how to take care of the body so, yeah. you know, the family could properly grieve. And yeah. these were all these things that only licensed people in the funeral industry could provide. They didn't have provide. an air of false expertise <laughs> exactly. that we've carefully exactly. constructed. Exactly. If you don't yeah. have an air of false expertise, it all crumbles beneath you. Um, exactly. And so here was me. And at the beginning, um, and still to this day, honestly, it's pretty funny. There are a lot of, like... Um, Caitlin Doty truthers. Who <laughs> really? kind of, yeah, who kind of are like, you didn't really go to mortuary school. Kind of like, let's see the birth certificate <laughs> about my mortuary school. It's like, mortuary school is like two-year trade school. Like, what a BS thing to lie about. Like, come on. Okay, but let's just say, for those who don't know, like, you're very, you know, you write about this subject prominently. You're, you know, you do media about it, right? Mm -hmm. Including this podcast, including our show, right? And I think you told me when we were chatting on set that you had just come from a trade show where I believe they show the newest advances in death technology, which maybe you can summarize some of it for me, but that a lot of the people there, when you would go out to them in the death industry, would be sort of like, "Oh, it's you. <laughs> I know. I, I yeah, I, I know what you do. Like, like you've got a little bit of like infamy uh, with those folks." Is oh, that- totally. Yeah, I definitely have infamy with those folks, which is weird because I'm not one of those people who like really gets off on that. Who's I like? I like everybody to like me. Yes. But the fact <laughs> is, people need to know this stuff about the funeral industry, and yes. somebody's got to do it. So I went to yeah, it's the National Funeral Directors Association trade show. And <laughs> And, uh, this, is, this is like is this is like Toy Fair or like any sort or CES or yeah it's like no totally I mean there are, there are like workshops and there are get-togethers and there's like the international reception and then there's the of course the pièce de résistance is the big giant trade show the, and that's like the floor you the walk floor around, unit yeah you get the keychains and the chocolates and the whatnot oh my god it's like I mean I've been to anime conventions you know like that reminds me of like where, where you buy the poster of Sailor Moon or whatever but in this case you're you're buying what you're buying well um, the best part is when you walked right in the front door there was one of those money cubes that was spitting money up for people to grab it and when i walked in there was an old man in a wheelchair right next to it and it was just this like beautiful tableau of the funeral industry um yeah stuff like that 
God's the irony. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, guys, that's not the most self-aware thing to have right by the front door. But okay, um, not my conference. Um, and then they, ha- you know, they have customized caskets that have race cars on them and they have um, places where you can turn your ashes into glass sculptures or there was a woman individually bedazzling rhinestones on an urn like hunched over it (laughs) any rhinestones on an urn Um, so this is honestly very very crafty yeah yeah yeah. but I would say that the real innovative stuff is kind of going on outside the trade show. Like the real innovation is not happening on the floor of the trade show. Um, Innovation such as they see it is happening on the floor of the trade show. Um, But honestly, while I was there, I was trying to kind of go incognito. I didn't, I wasn't Mm -hmm. speaking. I wasn't doing any of that. I was just there as a fan. Um, But uh, uh, young people came up to me and were really excited to see me and talk. Um, Mortuary school students, young Mm -hmm. funeral directors um, of all shapes and sizes, really, really into it. Um, Older people, some of them came up and were very nice and said, I really think what you're doing is good. We need to kick in the butt. You know, yeah. I think you're I think you're great. Um, some people just kind of gave me the look up and down. A lot of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then one guy um, was like, mm, I used to really hate you. But then I decided you're not so bad. <laughs> It's like, ah, thank you. I was really ready for a confrontation, though. I was really, like, hoping and praying that someone would just come flip out at me. But they didn't. They're funeral directors, so they have to kind of keep their cool. You're questioning a business model that they've they've built their livelihoods on. They have. And it's not, you know, honestly, I don't think it's their livelihood. I think that the tendency is to say it must be that you're threatening their money and that's why they hate you. I don't think it is. I think it's that... Being a funeral director is a really hard job and a really thankless job. And people think you're the old weird corpse guy and you've been an embalmer for 25, 30 years and you've worked late nights and you haven't had much of a social life and it's all built on this model. Yeah. And you really build your self-esteem on being this kind of special steward for Mm. the public and helping people through grief and doing the absolute best thing you can for these families. And then when you have this young chippy like me come in and say, actually, you don't need any of that. Like, you can do it all yourself. Isn't it amazing? You can save lots of money. You can be empowered. Yes. And their reaction is, of course, going to be little lady piped down. Yes, because you know, it's such a threat to what they've their well, business yeah, they, they and their, what their self esteem. Yeah, so uh, that's interesting. It's not even the the money, their livelihood. It's like the identity, the self identity. Yeah. yeah. Completely. I think this is a question a lot of people will have because before we get to some broader questions about death, um, the the natural burial model, uh, which you describe on the show, and uh, I, I I learned about in the course of researching the show, it's one of those things that you learn about, and I think some of the people listening might have heard about and go like, oh, that's what I want to do. Which, first of all, that's a weird thing to think. I was literally like, oh, I want to get a natural burial. The same way I'd be like, let me start doing CrossFit. Like mm-hmm. I like I'm googling it and I want to do it like that week. I'm like, wait a second, I can't actually like. Like opt for this now. No, I encourage that. It's I encourage like a hobby. that. Oh, I actually, do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that everybody should figure out what they want done with their body and mm-hmm. just think about it. And every time you feel a little weird about death, just think, I'm going to decompose beautifully into the ground, you know, mm-hmm. what, or whatever it is you choose, yeah. whatever option it is you choose, have that in the back of your mind and make that decision and then ponder it when you need to. And I think it really shores up your your fear and relationship of death. Great. That's fantastic. So that's what I, I've heard from some people who tweeted me or whatever. They say, oh, well, I'm going to get a natural burial now. Thanks. That's, I'm very happy to have thought about it. Um, but the actual process 
process of getting one is is difficult, right? You were telling me that you offer them in California, but the only place you can do it is Joshua Tree. Is that correct? Right. The close. So in Los Angeles, there are some Jewish cemeteries and Muslim cemeteries that will offer it because of their religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. But for anybody else. At this moment, some it might be changing. We have a couple leads. But at this moment in time, you have to drive two and a half hours out to Joshua Tree <laughs> to be buried in a hole in the ground, Jeez. which is ludicrous. And people um, will say immediately, like, oh, wow, the regulations must, must be really strict in yeah. California. Yeah, that's what I'd imagine. No, no, there are no regulations at all. You can absolutely be buried in a hole in any cemetery. It's the cemeteries themselves that don't want you to be buried in a hole. Really? So it's literally the owners of privately owned cemeteries. Exactly. And so the reason is that when you're buried in any um, typical cemetery across the U.S., that's not a natural cemetery, hole is dug, casket goes in the hole, and then there will be a big concrete or metal vault put around the casket. So you're nowhere near the dirt. Like you see, you see nothing natural in your connections. You're not like going back. Like it doesn't even make sense to put the body under the ground. Like it's not, there's no reason for it because it's not coming anywhere near. So even the the casket is not touching earth. That's in a vault itself. Sometimes, sometimes they'll like, Sometimes it will just be the vault will just be on top or sometimes it'll just be a grave line or like there are different ways that they do it. But, you know, often not. And the reason for that is that they don't want the ground moving and settling and they don't want to drive their big industrial backhoes Uh, over it and have the you know casket split or be disturbed. And so they have all this industrial machinery and the family just kind of pays to supplement its use. Wow. And so they so it's. The funeral director business model or the traditional funeral home business model is so dominant that that it's just there are literally not private cemeteries that offer the simple service of, hey, we're just putting you in the ground. Exactly. Yeah. And so the only reason it's changing is because people are saying like they can see that they can. And honestly, what they're doing a lot of funeral or a lot of uh, cemeteries, sorry, is opening up a section for natural burial and just charging more. Oh, God damn it. You know, which is really? like, uh, they're, they're charging more? Yeah. They're like, well, if you want a hipster funeral, yeah, you're going to pay extra. Yeah. Well, I I was in The New Yorker and it said like the artisanal hipster uh, funerals. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like the burial of humanity for tens of thousands of yes, years. Yes, this is the very simple. This is the, and you're, you and, know, I'm not making like artisanal mustard or like, you know, <laughs> spe- like I'm not doing something that's like, oh, I'm going to yeah. be cool. Like working with corpses not, is not cool. Yeah, you're not selling $20 chocolate bars. No. You're just putting people in the ground. Putting people in the earth. Very cheaply, have, right? Very, uh, ideally, very, I mean, the idea is also with this whole thing is to be as cheap as possible. I don't mean cheap, but... I do mean that for a lot of communities, burial can be burial and funerals can be devastating financially. Mm-hmm. Someone yes. will die and you'll see GoFundMe's for the $13,000 they owe the funeral home. Yes. I'm like, guys, if you if you put this body in your home and just took care of it yourself free, you know, yeah. did all had everybody over for a potluck yeah. free, like just had a simple cremation or simple natural burial, you know, $2,000 maybe. Yeah. 
You know, that just really takes down the prices. I, I have this very vivid memory of seeing a commercial in like the late 90s that was like it was like an old lady talking to the camera. And she was like, I'm going to die soon. And when I do, I don't want my family to be burdened with my funeral costs. That's why I buy this insurance. And there right. was like an insurance company that was selling that was like it was insurance for your own funeral costs that that I was for this right. poor old this poor old woman. It was it was. It was, it was the most depressing ad I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I worked I worked for a period of time for this sort of naturally environmentally branded cremation company, mm-hmm. which is serious, which is like ridiculous to begin with because cremations are these like big industrial machines. Yeah, but they had I saw so I was the funeral director, and then they had salespeople that went out to sell and advance these cremation plans. And I saw one of the scripts that they used, and it oh, opened no. with you're sitting in front of a couple. And you say, Mrs. Johnson, what would you do if you woke up tomorrow morning and Mr. Johnson had died? Oh, and I was like, that. in the bed beside her? Like, what is it? Like, <laughs> call the police? I don't know. Like, Jesus. Oh, God. Like, it's just it's just like you read it and you're just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I can't work here anymore. I can't be a part of this because it's just, I mean. Uh, emotional manipulation. Yeah, it's emotional manipulation. Yeah. And, you know. To a certain extent, I suppose you could say that's what I do in the sense I go out and say, like, you have to prepare for this. Guys, wake up. Yeah. But because there's not a financial – and I try and very strictly keep finances out of anything that I do because I don't ever want that to be a part of what I'm doing because I think that would really cheapen my own message if I was that was to be a part of it. Well, let me – it, it strikes me that the reason uh, funeral directors are able to emotionally manipulate people in this way – or I don't want to say funeral directors – Generally, people in the uh, the uh, more rapacious part of the industry, right? And it's often, and many times, it's not funeral directors. It's mm-hmm. people who are selling pre need or selling insurance Jeez, yeah. or selling these things. You know, so funeral directors can kind of keep their pureness mm-hmm. to the side, and then you have these other people who are in the industry or cemetery salesmen or whoever it is, got it, who can kind of go in for that. Well, it seems like the reason they're able to manipulate people in this way is because they're almost making people think about it for the first time ever in their lives, that no one wants to consider the fact that they die. And in fact, it seems very disturbing. But I can't decide if this is a good question or a very (laughs) obvious question. Why are people unable to confront this? Well, I think what your episode did and what I tried to do in my own work is to come at it from a place of, not a place of love, that sounds sappy, but a place of like, we're just trying to help you out mm-hmm. by reminding you that this is your inevitable. Like, yes. Why don't you start thinking about it now? There's a lot to think about and there's a lot that you're going to get. And so I get um, – every once in a while I get criticized. I, I run the order of the good death and I use the term the good death. Mm-hmm. And people are like, don't, don't – how dare you say the good death? That means that if I don't have the good death, I'm a failure. And, you know, there's mm. it's this sort of sense of that. And I get that. I get where that's coming from. But – What I say in response is that, well, first of all, the term the good death has been around for a very long time. And if you don't prepare, if you don't think about it, if you don't have any sense of what the good death means to you, whether it's dying at home, around people you love, not in pain, with your affairs in order, if you don't have a sense of any of that, none of it is going to happen. Nothing's just going to fall into place. 
when you die. Like, nothing falls into place when someone dies. Hmm. Things have to be put in place when someone dies. It's a chaotic time unless you do your very best mm -hmm. to make sure that it's not, especially in people don't understand the paperwork and the bureaucracy mm -hmm. and all of the just setting up accounts and all of the things that happen when someone dies. Yeah. And when you just say, think about it, it's, it's so overwhelming. Yeah. To think about it that it just kind of shuts people down. Yeah, they, they, people's minds just sort of glance off the surface of it, right. you know. Um, well, I think it's similar to something like climate change. In the sense, I don't yeah. think that people just don't care that the climate is changing. I think that it's so overwhelming and devastating to think that we are doing this. Yes. That we're like, do to do Justin Bieber's Instagram. Like, I can't even address this. And the same thing with your own mortality. It can be so – and that's why you need – I think a bit of humor, I think a bit of lightness and levity, and I think both of our tones with it can kind of get people into it, not from a financial place, yes. not from a telling you what to do place, just in a let's get this party started, guys. Yeah, and I'm I'm very thankful that, you know, I mean, some people have reached out and said, "Wow, this, you know, had an impact on me and now I'm talk to my, you know, I'm talking to my loved ones tonight about what we'd like to do. You know, thank you for forcing us to think about this." I've also had people tweet at me saying, since I saw your episode, I can't stop crying. Why did you make it? Like a, a few people, you know. Uh, your tears have... are good. <laughs> That's why. I hope so. I mean, like your, tears were... are, your tears are necessary. These are very young people, I think, who, who, who mostly had this reaction. But, you know, people have a really deep down, it's almost an ultimate fear of death. And I, I've always felt very lucky to, I know I have people in my life who are fundamentally afraid of death, who, who you know, obsess over the idea or who are constantly just thinking, what if I die? And I've, I don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've, I've never had a problem with the atheist's conception of, mm -hmm. of death. It's always felt fine to me. But um, it, it seems like one of the deepest human emotions is to is to it is. is to it's, have that it's the fear. er human emotion yes. i think it's the er human fear um and my personal belief is that it drives everything that we do the hmm. knowledge because you you learn at a certain age you know in your early single digits you learn that you're going to die you learn that this is all going to end. Everyone you love is going to die. Yes. It's not a cartoon. We're not popping back up. It's the end of the road. Who knows where you go, but it's over. And I think that begins to affect you immediately. And the reason that we're in here doing a podcast or you're doing a show or I'm writing books or the president is the president or someone runs a business or has a child, all of these decisions come from the knowledge that we're going to die and we're trying to be immortal in some way and trying to leave something behind. Hmm. Um Yes. Ernest Becker's The Denial of Death. Um, I've heard of this. the Pulitzer Prize in the I'm 70s. Not read it, but I've heard of it. Um, I think it's one of the most important books ever written. It kind of, mm. you know, if you're interested in what I said just there, you know, take, take a gander at it. It really deserves the renaissance that, that it needs um, because people don't think of death as the primary driver of their <laughs> lives, but it is, guys. It completely is. Yeah. And just think about right now if I told you, oh, by the way, you're not going to die. Like, would you really want to make 14 more episodes of your show, like, right now? Like, all the work that it takes and everything that you need to do? That motivation comes from knowing that your life is finite. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's really interesting. I mean, do you think that... Do you, because I, I find that and it's not true of all of all religious thinking or all, or all spiritual thinking, but some of it seems to me when I hear it to be very death denial focused, that it's about mm -hmm. that, that there's to some people uh, want to hear from some teachers, 
you will not die. Death mm-hmm. is not going to happen. And and that is almost a fundamental comfort that they need. Is that good? Is that bad? I've been wrestling with that question myself. Sure. I think I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's certainly interesting. And it's certainly interesting the cultural place that we're in right now, because you said you're an atheist or, or have those leanings yeah. generally. I would say the same. I'm generally leaning towards agnostic atheism. Mm-hmm. And I I, we're in this whole generation that feels very similar. My friends are all similar. I know a lot of people who are similar. Yes. And how do you deal with death if you're that? Because sometimes I think it would be very chill to have a religion telling me exactly not only what to do when someone dies, what to do with their dead body, yeah. how to chant, how to grieve, mm-hmm. how to think, how to conceive of them going on somehow mm-hmm. um, and still being a part of the fabric of the universe what if you were given all of that as opposed to just the existential blackness? (laughs) But for most of us in our position, we can't just choose to believe something. We can't just pick a religion and like ride off into the sunset with it. Mm -hmm. We, We believe what we believe or lack of belief. And so I think part of what we're trying to do with the natural burial, with the idea of accepting decomposition and decay, of taking being hands-on with the dead body are to try and create rituals and conceptions of death mm. for people who don't necessarily have them. Yeah. I'm going to guess. I don't understand why why people, you know, uh, become religious in one way or another, you know. Um, death. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Spoiler. Death. <laughs> I feel that there are some people who must, you know, have that deep uh, fear and then someone says to them hey it, you know you you won't die there's sure. there's more well, and, the, and then yeah. they and then they go and they say oh then this is for me this this soothes you know this gives me the balm that i need but maybe there's a way that that can be done with the work that you do that by providing people a a different way to think about death that's that's soothing without denying its existence that's what we're trying to do exactly and you, you get you know you can get it like religion and culture all offer these structures to people who are, mm-hmm. but we're all kind of born like these little naked mole rats who we can't <laughs> figure out why we're here and what death means. And we have just so much to figure out and they're giving you answers and that's like, woo, great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but for some, you know, I don't know the full history of how this happened, but all of a sudden we're in this place where we don't have that anymore. And we have to, but like in a way we have to have something. Yes. And it can't just be denial. It can't yes. just be like, la, 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 not going to happen to me because it is. Yes. And so, like, what if we made the opposite of that acceptance? Like, what if we embraced acceptance? And I don't mean like a cult-like acceptance of death, but just a general, very rational, very engaged way of looking at death. Something that, that I, I was, you know, uh, reading the uh, New Yorker profile and there was something that you said in it, uh, if I can paraphrase, that when a person dies, like all of their stress and pain is gone, you know, um, and that that's something that you can communicate to the bereaved person as well. Or so I, I something about that stuck with me as being very comforting that even in a, you know, secular atheistic view of death, that that's there's a positive way to not spin it. But <laughs> no, there, but there's always it. a way. Yeah, there's always a more positive way to view it. And because death is comedy and tragedy. Hmm. Always, always, Mm -hmm. always, always. Death is not funny. Death is not pure despair. It's both wrapped up. It's it's life. It's, you know, a microcosm of life is death. And people are taught to think all sorts of things like, my mom is dead and she was 
really sick for three years and I had to take care of her almost full time and she was miserable. And now I kind of feel a little happy and relieved that she's dead. Does that make me a bad person? And it's kind of my job to be like, nope. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Like, do feel what you need to feel right now. Yes. Like, of course, of course you're happy. Of course there's all sorts of emotion mixed up in this, but she was miserable and you were miserable and it's okay to, to start your life again now. Yeah. You know, and people, I think we just have all of these really bad cultural influences on what death <laughs> should be and how we should feel. And, you know, you're saying people tweeting you saying they're in tears. Like, that's why I said good tears. Like, yes. what are those emotions? Where yes. is that coming from? What is opening up for them? Like, feel it. Go on the ride, man. Take yes. the death ride. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, that's it's the most extreme version of, of almost the the mission statement of the show, which is that it's, you know, to confront things that are uh, confront ideas that are that are momentarily uh, uncomfortable, but ultimately bring one to a broader truth, which hopefully uh, leads to a better life and a and a better view of the world. It's just the most, you know, extreme version of like, look at this. You must, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you no, must look I, at and this. I love the way you did the show because there's so many ways that you could have done it not that great, <laughs> honestly. And you didn't. You you really did your research, and you did your research. Um, you know, maybe I say this because you did it in the manner that I also believe and yes. also subscribe to. But I would also like to think that it is reality. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought I thought it was great, and I thought I have no hesitation in in recommending it to people and oh, showing well, it to people. You. And thank really, you for saying so. um, it's great. Hey, gotta take a quick break. The Adam Ruins Everything podcast. We'll be right back. I listen to Bullseye because no show does a better job of showcasing the best creators we have today. It's like the liner notes on a favorite album but for everything in culture. It makes me happy to hear music I've never heard before, voices I've never thought to listen to, and culture recommendations that are outside my comfort zone. That's why I listen to Bullseye. You should, too. Bullseye's your guide to what's good. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. This is the Adam Ruins Everything podcast, and I am talking to Caitlin Doty, who you might remember from our death episode. She is an advocate for natural burials as opposed to those gross, expensive, traditional burials. She's also the author of a book called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, and she is a licensed mortician. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this, because we've talked a lot about the this is going to get really. Uh, I was a philosophy major, and so this is sort of how I almost oh, come. Okay. How, how much I, how, this is how I come to almost every issue. But we've talked a lot about like the external reality of death and like the the preparation of the uh, body and and how you deal with loved ones and etc. But I I think one of the one of the things that draws me to the topic is that uh, the reality of death is almost impossible to comprehend intellectually. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it almost breaks, you know, mathematics and philosophy in terms of how impossible it seems. Like it's it's it almost seems like the opposite of a tautology, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what what do you what do you envision when you think of your own death, you know, of in terms of the first person phenomenology of it rather than not how you want to be paired or anything like that, but but what does that moment uh, or reality seem like to you? Yeah, that's definitely the most philosophy major way I've ever been asked that question. I, I appreciate that. Uh, guilty. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually just had occasion to use this Mark Twain quote, which is essentially, um, 
I don't fear death. I have been dead for billions and billions of years prior to my birth oh. and have suffered nothing from it. Oh, that's or wonderful. Something, something to that effect. Oh, wow. Um, which is true. Like, you know, you, you not being happens before you are born and yes. not being happens after you die. Yes. Um, unless you have a religious belief. Um, so what I think is that I will come toward my death and I will walk toward the white light, not because there's an objective white light, but because things in my brain will, uh, you know, yeah. start, stop, the synapses will stop firing that's and the oxygen people... will leave and that's where the white light comes from. Yes. Um, and I also think that's where near-death experiences come from, mm-hmm. from things happening in your brain in that way. And I do believe I exist in my brain and mm-hmm. that's where Caitlin is yes. and lives. And that when I die, go towards the white light and it will be kind of be like an old film reel, you know, when it flaps off the mm-hmm. end and it's just kind of the shaky mm-hmm. nothingness, whiteness, and then goes to black. And I think that I will just no longer experience. Hmm. I will no longer, I will have no, the senses will be gone. The narrative that runs constantly in my mind that is Caitlin and that is my sense of self will yes. be gone. And it just will be non-being. It will be like I was before I was born or like sleep is interesting, but I think there's so much going on subconsciously with dreams and processing and your brain. But again, your brain's doing things and your brain. And recently I had a case where a case is what funeral directors call the bodies that come into their funeral homes. Mm hmm. And he'd been autopsied and I just you have to sort of fix the head for the family to see them. And I was just holding the brain in my hand, which is a powerful experience that people who work in death get to have and not the average person doesn't. Yeah. And, um, you know, just to think this kind of weird, slimy, lumpy thing is where someone's entire sense of self is. Yeah. If you believe that, it's kind of interesting and powerful and dismissive and it's you know it's all the things it's all the things and um yeah so i mean the short answer to that question is i think nothing it's such nothingness but not but not but i think what people think about nothingness they think about themselves as they exist now sitting in a black nothingness yes that's the that's the bizarre thing (laughs) is that you imagine you can't imagine not being so you have to think of yourself as being there just with nothing going on like a sensory deprivation chamber of pain or something like guys that's probably that's not how it is yeah oh of course of course not it's just the but that's how yeah that's it, what people think. The it, it, I guess the the human mind is almost incapable of imagining nothingness whatsoever because mm-hmm. there's always well yeah it, it is really getting uh, philosophy one on one because now I'm about to reference like Kant like the <laughs> like space and time as dimensions of human thought are like inescapable but but nothingness is to have no space and to have no time um, which is uh, which is bizarre I I think well one one thing that you said made me think is that um, the idea that you know your that your brain and your and your physical body um, are that is what Caitlin is, or this is what Adam is. That I'm, you know, fundamentally a collection of meat moving about through space, and that is all that I am. Is like sort of the central tenet of atheism or secularism or whatever you you know call it. I uh, I don't attach a label to that belief, but I do have that belief. But we so rarely talk about what that belief entails. Like what. What does it mean that one's entire self is a physical collection of of meat? You know, mm-hmm. um, what does that mean for like the structure of society, for the way that we treat each other, um, uh, et cetera? And that's almost uh, a thing that's missing from the 
uh, non-religious worldview. You know mm-hmm. that that a religious worldview says, well, if you you know to be a person is to be you, you know to be in this life, and then you move on to a different life, and that has a purpose and a meaning and everything. But we don't talk about the ethical or the person-based dimension of what that means. And it seems like you're you're beginning to offer uh, uh, an answer to that question to a certain extent. Yeah. No, I think I think beginning to offer is the right yes. way to put it because I I feel it and I, I there's so much of that that I I'm getting these glimpses of mm-hmm. um, and that are like on the tip of my brain or tip of my tongue and I, it's so hard to at- articulate. And you got to give religion credit because they've really, you know, found a way to package yes. and sell exactly what they're saying and believe. And I have so much doubt and confusion that to like come out with truths, to drop the truths is really, really <laughs> hard. And they, they, they're elusive and they pop away like fireflies. But yes. um there's so much, I think, specifically to the idea, and this is why I love natural burial so much, the idea of your body just going back into the earth, to giving your body back to the earth, mm-hmm. and to saying, you know, what I say normally is that, yes, I'm probably going to be naturally buried because that's as good as I can do, but really, if I had a choice, I would just be laid out to be eaten by animals. <laughs> I've eaten animals in my life. I'm uh-huh. vegetarian now, but I spent many years eating animals. Yeah. And they get their turn with me. Would there be animals that would eat you if oh, you were absolutely. to be laid out in the forest? Yes, absolutely. So many. And animals that, like, you think are better than that, you know, <laughs> like like bears and bald wow. eagles and, like, every, every animal, like, given the opportunity for some great fresh meat is th- going to be into it. I think there's, like, a, I, I think this is firmly an urban legend uh, category, but I have heard people say that... Uh, one of the reasons dogs are better pets than cats is that dogs will wait a lot longer to eat your corpse. Have you ever heard that? True. Yeah, it's true. True. Oh my god. Yeah. No, it... I have a medical examiner friend who told wow. me exactly that. And yeah, cats like have no country, like have no <laughs> loyalty. Like they will, they will eat your eyeballs. They will eat. Like they'll get in there. How quickly will they eat your eyeballs? Um, that's an excellent question. I don't know if I have the exact answer to that, but um, <laughs> certainly a lot. You know, the dogs will sort of like. Like gently paw at you and whine, and you know yeah. try and try and stay away yes. um, as long as they can. But I think my, my image—this is probably not true—but my image is a cat will like check its watch like two hours in and be like, "All right, you haven't well, moved." Yeah, like, the dog will do it out game of time. almost cannibalism if it runs out of food. But the exactly. cat is like, "Well, this is basically just food in a bowl." Right. <laughs> It's laid out to feast. God damn it. How quickly – I think you told me this on set. How quickly if if you are – if you just – if a body is simply, you know, buried very – how long does it take to decompose? This question is always – so people will come and say, like, hey, my, my dad died 10 years ago in New Jersey and he was embalmed and he was buried on a rainy day. What does his body look like now? I'm like, man, I don't know. Like there are so – like forensics doesn't even know – when someone died two days ago. Really? Yeah, like it's it's that hard to pinpoint because environment and insects and there are just so many factors yeah. that go into, you know, what how they died. So many factors that go into what changes happen with the dead body. But if it's soil, so out in Joshua Tree in the desert, yeah. it's going to take a lot longer. If it's a really rich, like topsoil full of bugs and lichen and all this good stuff, probably only about a couple months tops. Really? Yeah, just... And then it's just totally gone. gone. You totally gone. You yeah. don't see and you, you, the body is just uh, mm-hmm. uh, totally dissipated. Yeah. And what they're trying to do now, I'm working with a woman who's doing body composting, mm-hmm. essentially. And she's doing experiments now with bodies that have been donated to science to try and figure out how to compost 
really within just a matter of weeks, bones gone, everything. Really? Body to body completely into it, soil. It occurs to me that this research could be used for criminal purposes. <laughs> it could, but like, <laughs> like honestly, like, 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 like a lot of a lot of movies are premised on the idea that you you can find a body a lot, like that they last a long time in the woods. You know, right? Yeah, no, that's true. But like, there's also like if you really want to get rid of a body, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways to do it. Like setting up a full composting system <laughs> is like probably not going to be your first. You know, like you can you can pay like some sketchy crematory operator to. You know, Got do it. it in the middle of the night, or you can throw it into not not that I have all of these ideas to share with you, but um, you know, throw it over back. Like I don't think that's specifically associated with criminal activity. Like it. I don't think that would be the easiest way. I'm not going to tell you what the easiest way is because that's not my not my game. But okay, Got but it. that's I'll just uh, pro tip: not the easiest way setting up a composting system. All right. Well, but but it seems like you could make a nice little economic niche for yourself in uh, like Gangland America if you wanted to supply the mob with you know like well I've got one of those rotating things and it's like I got worms <laughs> like I got maybe banana peels. <laughs> the ba- like yeah. old old Johnny banana peels like. <laughs> Yeah, just toss your food in there too. You know, <laughs> just like anything left over from uh, from free spaghetti night, we'll toss in there and it'll this compost. This is taking a whimsical turn. <laughs> well, I try to have it be a comedy show too, yeah. as much as much as I possibly can. Um, let's w- see. Were you just talking about Kant? Like, yes, I was <laughs> five minutes ago. I was. That's why I do the kind of comedy that I do. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, that's that, I mean, that's what brought me to this place. Um, something that really strikes me about talking to you is how many rules people think exist about death that don't. That's my number one thing is telling people that the rules they think exist do not exist. Yeah. Really. Like that's what I spent. I spend so much time just saying and sometimes you can forget that people don't know that the dead are not dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like a dead body, unless it has Ebola, which your grandma doesn't, your body is totally safe to be around and to be in the presence of. The dead body is safe to be around. It's not dangerous. You have the, you can take care of it yourself. For the most part, you don't have to go through a funeral home. You can bury the body in the earth. There's not a regulation to that. It's legal to do all these things. People just don't know that because the funeral industry is so strong. And Mm -hmm. it's just been a little too long because it's been about hundred years that the funeral industry has had the kind of power that it's had. Yeah. And it's just been a little too long for people to remember. And for a while, you had people in Appalachia or certain southern places that still just kept the body for a big old wake right at home. And even that is disappearing. So unless we bring it back, it's it's going to be forgotten. Do you feel that our culture today uh, denies death more than, you know, culture a few hundred years ago, for example, or, or a thousand years ago, first of all? Well, that's an interesting question because on one hand, yes, we have with the systems we have set up in place mm-hmm. and the funeral directors and the funeral industry, the answer is absolutely yes. But as we're talking about with secularism and with the Internet and with the rise of people wanting to do what they want to do when they want to do it, we're actually ripe for an incredible shift of power. You know, so we're, right. we're actually not in that bad a place if people are, are dare to do it and are bold mm-hmm. enough to, to try and change it. It's just it, it's so interesting. It, it sometimes seems as though our whole culture is – you said that everything is premised on the idea that we will die, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, ab- absolutely, that all of our decisions are based, mm-hmm. are based on that. At the same time, it often seems as though the entire – uh, structure of our society is based on a fiction that 
death doesn't happen. And then when it does happen, it's an emergency and it's a rupture and it's a change from the natural order of things. And when everyone, when anyone dies, it's like, oh, no, that shouldn't have happened. Oh, I'm so sorry that right. it did happen. It was wrong that it happened. It shouldn't have happened. That person mm-hmm. should have stayed alive forever. Um, yeah. Well, the interesting part about uh, the book I was referencing earlier, The Denial of Death, mm-hmm. is exactly that, is that you know you're going to die and all of this stuff comes from the frantic attempt to deny it in mm-hmm. your everyday life. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that the behavior is influenced by you're going to die, but the behavior is influenced by you're going to die. No, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. I got to do this. I got to do this. Instead, I got to buy a boat. Yeah. I got to have sex with a girl. I got to have a kid. You know, that's, you know, it's the denial that actually engenders all of that that we're doing. So the things that we do are driven by the quest for immortality, basically? Yes. Is that the idea? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, so the reason I have a TV show is I'm trying to deny death and I'm trying to uh, uh, give myself immortality by doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that you, especially to do the type of show you're motivated to do, <laughs> it's not only just I want to be famous. It's yeah. also I want to leave my mark through education. Yes. I want to leave my mark through being kind of a trickster and subverting mm-hmm. these cultural norms. Like, there's, I'm sure you have many other motivations as well, but they're all in there and you got to... You you know you're going to die and you yeah. don't want to die. So you want to have something immortal. But mm-hmm. you also know death is coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not be today. It probably won't be for a while for you. You seem like a healthy young man. I'm doing but it's, okay. it's coming. You know, it's coming. <laughs> so you, you can't you can't take that out of the equation. Yeah. Any You talk to anybody about any decisions, big decisions they make for their life. You can't take death out of the equation. It's so interesting. It's as though we're... Uh simultaneously yeah making every decision based on it and not believing that it that it will ever occur um i mean do you think it's it, it, apart from you know again the death rituals of our society and and all of those issues do you think on a day to day basis people need to be thinking about death more uh yeah i do <laughs> i think that there i mean obviously i think there's a healthier way to do it yes um I don't recommend anyone be me. You know, I I deal with death in an intense way, both the literal corpses and the philosophy behind it every day. Um, And that causes some ups and downs in my life. But I think um, one thing that I said um, in some interview recently, and I reread it and I was like, oh, good, that makes sense, um, was (laughs) that there's just two, when I work in a funeral home, it's too many corpses for one person. Huh. It's too and not enough for other people. So it's like I'm getting all the corpses and all the benefits <laughs> of so, being around and like but it's almost too much whereas most people don't don't have corpses in their lives and yeah. don't have an interaction with death and don't have a way a bridge to understand their mortality in that way. So in a way I'm like but I do it so much that I'm like too fortunate. You feel but you feel uh like more people need the privilege of, of yes. the perspective that you gain. I think I think it is such a privilege. I think that there's no almost no bigger privilege than being able to just sit with a dead body mm-hmm. and be especially if it was someone you love. Yeah. And just be there and be like, This person lived a life. Especially yeah. if they're older. Like this has been, a, you know, I when I started first working in the industry, I was a crematory operator, just cremating body after body, you know, every day. And there were people who were born in the 1800s. Wow. And people who, you know, were in wow. World War One, and people yeah. who were in World War Two, and people who, you know, grew up in the South in the 1920s. And like, what? Like, there's things you would see on like the PBS or something. <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't get just choked up there. That was that sounded really beautiful, actually, but it was just me, um, my throat closing. But it does it does affect you because you, if you really can stop and think about it, like wow, 
That's crazy. That's really crazy. And then nobody yeah. else is seeing this. I'm a dumb 22 year old girl. Yeah. Doing all of this and you're every the, day and, and you're... Ha- grinding the bones and <laughs> just like having this sort of transcendent experience. And then nobody even knows this warehouse crematory is here. Um, so you feel like you're honoring those those people's lives by doing that in a way? Is that? Yeah. No, I think so. Yeah. And absolutely. you're and you're trying to bring that experience to more people. Yeah. I'm saying I'm saying, yeah, that was the initial impetus to become a more public advocate for me was I did this. It was really great for me. And it's not really it's not like hang out with death and you'll be fun and fit and fabulous. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. But you'll be more self-aware and you'll be a better human. Well, I just feel talking to you that this issue is uh, I I mean, look, we talk to a lot of people with a lot of issues and we talk about a lot of issues on the show. Um, This is the one that seems to me to be the most important but the least examined. Uh, yeah, that it's I agree. It's so fundamental. It's such a huge part of life. But if I want if we did an episode about birth and, you know, uh, about, uh, you know, our hospitals and cesarean sections and natural births and stuff like that. God, could I find, yep. you know, articles and experts and books and, and all that kind of thing. And and uh, for death, which is equally, if not more important, it's it seems to be such a, a dearth of uh of, of conversation about it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really incredible talking to you about it. And, and I, and I hope that I, I just think we need hundreds more people doing the work that you're doing. Your mouth to maybe the non-existent <laughs> God's ears, man. Like it's so funny when people, people will say like, Oh, I heard about this mushroom burial suit thing. Did you, have you heard of this? And mm. I'm like, there are like 10 of us. Like we're all intimate friends. Like we all know each other. Like there's not any like. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that... Yeah, that's my friend Ben. Yeah, yeah he made the mushroom exactly. Yeah. No, that is, that is like there's there's the alternative death community and people who are having the specific conversation is I would say it's robust, but it's it's small. Um, compared to what it needs to be. Absolutely. And we need academics on it. We need more scientists on it. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, what is happening is that there are a lot of young people who are mm-hmm. really into it. And a lot of people <laughs> who are going into mortuary school now absolutely know what the order of the good death is and yeah. know what death positivity is and know what the movement is and are very aware of it and consider themselves part of it. Death positivity makes me think of like Tumblr blogs written by dead people being like, <laughs> come on, guys, let's not be so down on ourselves because we're dead. Yeah, social justice. <laughs> Um, Kaylin, thank you so much for being here. It's so, I God, I wish we could talk for an hour more, but, uh, you know, yeah, we can't because because <laughs> we have we have we'll more die. we have we more have things, things to, to do, do before we die. We have yep. things to do exactly. So, well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great. <laughs> All right, that was Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. We will be back in two weeks, so please tune in on June 22nd. Our producer is Shara Morris. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. I listen. I use Overcast myself. I think that's a pretty good one. But you know what? There's a lot of podcast apps. You can use any damn one you want. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. And also... Don't forget, Adam Ruins Everything, the TV show, is coming back August 23rd on True TV, Tuesday nights, 10 p.m. We got 14 brand new episodes for you, busting a lot of myths. I don't want to put it that way because there's a famous show that kind of uses that formulation, but that is broadly what we're doing. I just don't want to use those exact words for obvious reasons. You can also find clips and full episodes of the show at TrueTV.com slash Adam Ruins Everything and the Watch True TV app. And until then, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.